Hey everybody, welcome to the No Film School podcast. We're here with an interview podcast. This is Charles Hain, tech writer at No Film School, and I'm here today talking with Shane Hurlbut, who is a cinematographer for many, many projects that a lot of you have seen, including uh, Act of Valor, Terminator Genesis. We're going to be talking about the new Rim of the World. But many of you also probably know Shane for his myriad educational activities online, and we're going to talk a little bit about those as well. So first off, thank you for joining me, Shane. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Charles. I'm down in Atlanta right now shooting my uh, next feature called Holiday for Netflix. So it's just been, uh, we've been on nights and then on days and then days, nights, days, nights. My whole schedule is all jacked. You have just described being a cinematographer. That is <laughs> exactly. the entirety of your adult life, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, do you do a lot in Atlanta? I was looking through some of your recent credits. It doesn't seem like Atlanta shows up that much. Yeah, I've. Uh, this is my fourth feature in Atlanta. So oh, okay. I did. Uh, I did Drumline uh, in two thousand. Uh, and that was before Atlanta was Atlanta. That yes. was just yes. Atlanta was a normal location. Correct. Uh, and then uh, we we are Marshall, and then Need for Speed, and now Holiday. Gotcha. So in those. 19 years. I mean, Atlanta is a different animal production wise. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really changed a ton down here. There's so many, uh, more, uh, vendors, uh, based around the movie industry. Uh, when I started, I had to ship all my gear in from Los Angeles, uh, to be able to light and lens and, and, uh, do everything. But now it's a, it's a, multicultural hub for the film industry now and uh, the crews are starting to uh, increase and get uh, a lot of depth and dimension so it's it's all good so uh panavision just left atlanta though and moved is uh is this a panavision show or what are you on on this one no i'm shooting uh red gemini gotcha out of an atlanta house or i'm just yeah, out of uh, Sim Atlanta. So uh, Sim Got and it. I have had a really good relationship over the last three or four years. We did uh, we did Rim of the World together. We did Resident Alien together. We've done Holiday, and uh, we'll see what uh, what the next one brings. Gotcha. Which is a great transition to talking about Rim of the World. So McGee is obviously you've been working together two decades with McGee. Yeah. Well, actually, I think three decades because I started working with him in uh, 1991. Uh, I shot a, a Cypress Hill music video, Sugar Ray. I did a lot of music videos with him uh, when he was starting out, um, and I was starting out as a young cinematographer. And that's where we kind of, you know, started working together with those. And then, uh, that soon transitioned into our first collaboration, which was, uh, we are Marshall. Gotcha. Do you remember how you first, like the first connection came about? I think with Mick G and I, you know, I had done a lot of prolific music videos uh, in the 90s. I had done, you know, four Nirvanas, uh, two or three Stone Temple Pilots, two Smashing Pumpkins, Rolling Stones, Van Halen, Guns N' Roses. Uh, and uh, he had just called me up and said he'd love for me to, to do a music video. And then we started doing them together for... I think we did five or six together and then 
you know, we kind of split off and I started shooting features and he was still doing music videos. So, and then we reconnected on We Are Marshall. That is awesome. And then when did the conversations first start about Rim of the World? Let's see. Rim of the World started uh, very early on because he called me probably, uh, let's see, I would say January of 2018. And he said he had this film uh, that uh, Zach Stentz, who's a very good friend of mine, I had gone way back to the day of Zach and I worked on these uh, Terminator Salvation um, ride experience for Six Flags. And he was the writer uh, for the Six Flag Terminator Salvation ride. And, and uh, Poe Chan and I directed this uh, whole series of uh, Q-line videos uh, that Zach directed. So when... He told me that Zach had this thing. It was a complete, you know, full circle reconnection with Zach. And, uh, you know, I loved the whole idea that four, you know, teenagers saved the world from alien destruction. And, uh, you know, we started to have conversations about the look. And um, Po Chan, who is a, uh, a director in her own right, uh, I've done several uh, short films with her. Uh, she has been working as my kind of visual assistant for years since 2014, uh, or sorry, 2004. We kind of went through the script and we started to formulate these very radical kind of color shifts and ideas, and we kind of pitched it to McGee, and he was super pumped. Uh, and that started the whole dialogue. And I had 10 weeks of prep on this thing to kind of, you know, formulate all the different nuances and try to work with our budget that was, you know, Mick G, he likes to do things big, right? So it's my job to take those amazingly big ideas and actually cram them into a good budget, but not one that can really accept all of his big ideas. So it's it takes a good a uh, good amount of prep to really, let's say, putting as much on the screen as possible. There is such a beautiful visual progression. It starts with such a bucolic sort of like normal world, and then over the arc of the piece, like the the visuals really do progress. And I mean, saturated colors is something that's sort of a hallmark throughout your career. But by the end of Rim of the World, you are firing on all of the sort of saturated <laughs> colors that you possibly can pack into a frame. And it feels more, you know, because you don't open in that space, you open in this much more natural world. Uh, it's like a really nice journey that the visuals go on in sync with the characters. So it's exciting to hear that that was something that came up, you know, well into prep and that you had 10 weeks of prep in order to really like test all of that. Uh, what camera platform was that? So I shot Red Gemini on that as well. We did about a week of testing. Uh, I wanted to test, I tested the Alexa, I tested the Gemini, I tested the Monstro. Um, and I wanted to just see what was going to respond to these, um, these massive color shifts and, and give me the, the best range uh, in the color correction bay. Uh, and the Gemini really stood out in delivering the color that I really wanted to go for. I found that with the Alexa, I had to turn the chrome knob, you know, uh, completely um, up to, you know, 
11. I, I didn't really want to do that. I wanted the, the camera to bake in a lot of what I was seeing. Uh, and that's, that's one thing that I really love about the red color science is it's much more explosive when you want it to be, or you can bring it back. Uh, so that's where we went. And the Gemini was relatively new at that time? Yeah, it's the first feature ever shot on it. So you're continuing to use the Gemini? Yeah, I, I think it's the best camera that RED has ever made. I like the low light sensitivity of the camera. It's something that uh, you need always in your back pocket, uh, I think. Um, when I was doing Resident Alien, we had this beautiful sequence where... Uh, the alien was kind of sitting out on his porch, looking up into the stars uh, on this uh, lakefront cabin. And we were doing this shot right at twilight. And uh, I had the one, you know, beautiful uh, lights in the cabin uh, glowing and, and coming out and uh, like an area light in the deep background. And then everything else was just the cyan blue of, of twilight. And we were doing it, and it was a very difficult shot. We were kind of wrapping around him and booming up and, and uh, revealing him in the foreground. And, you know, our day had gotten uh, after us, and we were delayed getting in there. So the light was pretty much almost gone uh, when we started the shot at 800 uh, ISO. And uh, the director was was kind of feeling frustrated because, you know, he wasn't seeing anything. And I go, don't worry, David, watch this. And I boosted it up to 1600. And then all of a sudden, uh, night turned into a beautiful twilight. Uh, and then we continued to finesse it all the way up to 3200 ISO. And uh, he said it was his favorite shot in uh, in the, the TV series, the pilot. So this is... You know, having things in your toolbox as a cinematographer to be able to go to, uh, one of the reasons I really responded to Canon back in the day was because they had this incredible low-light sensitivity of a camera. Uh, and you could go with much more practical-based lighting and uh, urban street lighting at night, and you didn't have to do so much. Uh, so now with the Gemini and its increased ISO, I'm finding myself... Um, you know, using this uh, a lot more uh, like I did with the Canon. So how did you first end up? Because you also famously, like in addition to doing the first Gemini feature, you did one of the, I mean, I, let's say the first major Canon DSLR feature, right? Yes. I'm sure there's like a smaller one that we don't know about or, <laughs> or something. I feel like somebody sent me a link once that was like, we're the first movie shot on a DSLR. And it was like a zombie movie that I'd never seen. Right. So, but like the first, the first like theatrically released major project on a Canon DSLR. Um, did you work with Duncan Smith on that? Was he uh, one of the uh, Navy SEALs or the Navy SEAL consultant? Yes, he was. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I remember him. Yeah. Uh, he is he is a listener, so uh, he will uh, probably run across this. So I wanted to make sure that we brought him up. He's also super nice. He goes to Cinegear now, so if you run him, know him at oh Cinegear, my God. say hi. He, he was an absolute pleasure on that. Uh, we we had great stories to talk about, and uh, you know that that was an incredible experience. Yeah, I mean, 
the everyone thought but how did that come about was that something where the production was already dslr or had they hired you and you were like oh hey guys the solution to trying to do this is dslr yeah they basically they hired me based on the terminator salvation tech series that i shot on the canon 5d uh, and it was like a alternative marketing campaign, and they were slated to do the editorial. The Bandito Brothers were slated to do the editorial on it, and it was the kind of thing where it was all surrounded around a helmet cam uh, that the resistance was getting uh, beat up on, and you know the term Terminators and you know Skynet and everything was corralling them and and uh, you know getting very close and and this guy was was talking to his base through a helmet cam. Well, when they saw the footage I was able to you know achieve from this small little camera, they were like, "Do you think you can do this for a theatrical release?" And I was like, well, it's not whether I can do it. We have to do it for the story. This is something that nobody has ever seen a camera move the way it moves. We've never been in embed a camera the way we can embed. We have to do this because the story tells us to do it. Uh, and they were like, okay, cool. So when we jumped on the DSLR bandwagon, we were shooting probably 30% or 40% film in the beginning and you know 70 to 60 percent dslr by the end of the feature it was 90 percent dslr and 10 percent film so we had really gotten it in the pocket we completely trailblazed a whole revolution of uh you know the democratization of filmmaking where now if you have a canon dslr and adobe you're able to create a movie in your garage <laughs> yeah it was crazy and then to see that then to see it look as good as it did theatrically before production i'm assuming you did some film out tests uh yes we did a lot of testing on that to make sure we were in the pocket uh, and then the film was ended up being released in like 8,000 theaters and made over close near to two million, two hundred million dollars. So it was a, it was a huge achievement. And and after that, you know, I went on a lot of speaking tours and everything uh, all over, you know, North America, Europe, and and um, and Canada. And I'll never forget, I was up in Canada, I think in Toronto, and this guy came up to me and he goes, I just want you to realize how powerful uh, Act of Valor has been for me because you legitimized my uh, capture medium. When anyone tells me I can't shoot on a DSLR, I just hand them the Act of Valor DVD. <laughs> It's so funny now because I teach at a film school and like I love my students and they're great, but they only want to shoot on the red. If it's not shooting on the red, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, but there's these like you can do beautiful things on like a 5D Mark IV or a 7S Mark II. Like there are like you can legitimately do. And like I understand like there are many like benefits workflow wise to shooting on the other camera. But when you can't get on a red, you can still go out this weekend and tell your story on these $4,000 cameras that we can get our hands on that shoot these beautiful images compared to like, you know, when you were coming up or when I was coming up and like the $3,000 video camera, the footage was not the same. No, no, it was, it, it was it just wasn't. a different thing. And, and I think that that was a real tipping point for our industry, right? We, 
we yeah. uh, all of a sudden everyone was looking to say, okay, how can we shrink this platform? How can we uh, immerse audiences differently? And uh, it's been a really, it's been a great ride, I have to say. Oh yeah, thinking about the last fifteen years of the film industry and how dramatically different it is today is is a very exciting thing. So you're obviously helping participate in that. Can you tell me about some of this thinking that went into the decision to initially launch Hurlbut Academy? Yeah, Hurlbut Academy was we had started with the blog that uh, the Hurlbut Visuals blog that the Hurl blog that came out in two thousand and nine. And that was launched uh, off of uh, just all my kind of DSLR trailblazing and everything back in the day. Um, and we had a huge following and everyone was just thirsting for knowledge and we were sharing insights all over the world. It was just a, an incredible uh, time to, to be a filmmaker. And, you know, Act of Valor was that filmmaking experience that kind of really brought me back uh, to the core of of being a filmmaker. Uh, you know, on movies like Terminator Salvation, you know, I have 195 deep in the camera grip and electric and rigging department. Uh, on Act of Valor, we had 10 people total that made the movie, right? So uh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, I was also the travel coordinator. Uh, as well as the director of photography. Uh, so I was booking all our flights. I was uh, booking all our hotel rooms. Um, I was also, you know, a lot of times it was just minimal crew. So I was the key grip. I was the gaffer. I was the DP. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a humbling experience uh, as well as just, really great movie making, you know, boots on the ground in it where everyone grabbed a camera and everyone had a voice and it was a wonderful collaboration. Uh -huh. So out of that, you know, this kind of just exploded to everyone just wanting and thirsting for knowledge. And then they wanted more and they wanted more and they wanted more. And out of wanting more, I was like, all right, let's see if we can start this membership site. So we started Shane's Inner Circle for people that wanted more. And we launched it and within two weeks, we had over 3,000 members. And it just started crazy. really going very well and, uh, you know, tons of positive feedback. And, you know, we... We really didn't know where we were going with it. We started out as like uh, blog posts that were just kind of souped up and giving more knowledge to full on, uh, you know, shooting with six and seven cameras and, and watching me make every stroke of light, every finesse, every lens change, every camera movement, everything was like this live sporting event that you would watch me create. Uh, and that's where, you know, once we had that content, we launched the Hurlbut Academy and, uh, now we cover everything from directing to cinematography, to understanding blocking, lighting, shooting, lensing, you know, it, it's basically a full spectrum of being a director or director cameraman or cinematographer. That's awesome. And, uh, how big is it now? So we're around 4,000 uh, members. 
we have them in 137 countries across the world. Um, it's uh, the new Hurlbut Academy has a massive community map, so you can see everyone on the map and where they're located. Uh, you're able to go into their personal profiles and see their special skills, uh, their resume, their IMDb. Uh, it has a full-on portfolio page within there as well, so you can put all your reels in, as well as all the gear uh, that you own and rent. So it's become like a super source. And what, what sets the Academy a, apart from every other membership site is its community. Um, and being so large and so strong, uh, throughout the world is, you know, uh, it's not just a membership site. It's a, it's a community, uh, that we all fuel on each other and everyone has access to me. So I make myself incredibly available. Everyone says, do you ever sleep? Uh, I said, yes, I sleep eight hours a day uh, beautifully. I have a great team that assists me, but uh, every comment is answered by me. Every question that ever comes in is answered by me. The other day, uh, Andrew Red, one of our members in Dallas, Texas, uh, had watched Rim of the World and said, my God, you know, look at the color correction on this. Uh, I loved where you went with all the atmospheric changes when the aliens invade. I never had seen anything like that. How many weeks of color correction did you have? And I said, I had three weeks of color correction, but, you know, I had to donate two of them. And he said, what do you mean donate? And I said, well, you know, you're most of the time when when we were doing film, uh, you never got paid for any kind of color correction. It just started to uh, filter into the director of photography that actually gets paid uh, for, you know, color correction. So he goes, I would love to see the wording in your contract. And I said, OK. So I went and got my contract and I, of course, took everything out that would be uh, stuff that that he doesn't need to know, but uh, at least the wording and how they shaped and what uh, the hours were and compensation, everything, and sent it to him. And he was like, oh my God, this is so good. And that's the neat thing about the Hurlbut Academy is because I've been in this business for over 30 years, my contacts uh, and vendors and sponsors and just friends in general, uh, love what we're doing. They love that we're giving back and educating the next generation of filmmakers. And so they're incredibly supportive. Like Steve Lewis, my, my agent at WPA, somebody had a question about a two-week guarantee or a month guarantee of work and everything. And, and this is something that I can't answer, but I reached out to Steve and I said, this member had this question and could you help me? And sure enough, he writes back immediately. And then I, uh, send him the, um, you know, send him the, the email back from Steve. And he was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And so this is the beauty and the connectivity, uh, connecting all these dots that turn you in to a master cinematographer is what the Hurlbut Academy is all about. It's really exciting, not only that you're that involved, but it seems like it's also set up to help them find each other and collaborate with each other, like by doing location-based searches and being able to show what gear they have. Have you started to see like uh, people forming collaborative partnerships in the Academy yet, or is that not something 
that's quite happened. No, yeah, that's what we have. So we have uh, we have a New York Hurlbut Academy. We have a uh, Mid Atlantic centered around Washington D.C. That area Hurlbut Academy. We have a Southeast. We have a Southwest. We have a Northwest, and we have Los Angeles. So uh, and we have a London. So these are Hurlbut Academy members that have kind of created this cluster bomb of of uh, you know, friendships, and uh, and then they have meetups uh, f- usually four times a year. Uh, I was just at an Atlanta meetup since I was down here where we looked at different uh, members' reels, and I reviewed them, and then we kind of went into how I prep a feature film and what makes that so unique and, and what I've learned over the years and how I've gotten really good at it and... and uh, you know, in, in regards to communicating the vision. I mean, I think that's the most difficult thing we do as artists is to try to communicate the vision uh, to every department. So all everyone is on the same page. And it was very important to me to continue to try to formulate documents that could do this, that could unite the whole crew onto the director's vision. So we do these events. There's one in New York where we're dealing with black magic uh, that's coming up. So these things are scheduled throughout the year where Hurlbut Academy members come together and they all share their experiences. They get educated by uh, specific uh, groups. The Mid-Atlantic did uh, anamorphic lenses last month. So it's it's a nice collection of of. Uh, of members that get together and then the sponsors also support they supply food and drinks and everything for the team and we've seen a massive you know these 4000 members they're not just followers they are buyers so the sponsors have really gotten a hold of all this and realized that my god we have a very very laser focused community that actually has purchasing power and they've really uh you know, gravitated towards that. That is super cool. Um, all right, so we're, we're coming to the end. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up? So Rim of the World uh, was released on Netflix March 24th. We had a lot of different um, atmospheric changes uh, that I went for. Uh, Mick G, one of the things that he wanted was, he goes, I want this to be like a coffee table book where you, you open the book up and it shows the colors of their journey. So we know that when they arrive at the, at the camp, this is what it feels like. When the aliens invade, this is the color tonality. When they go into the LA basin, this is the tonality. When they're going to the night, this is the tonality. So, you know, really grabbing that idea and then Poe and I really started to think about, okay, well, if the atmosphere changes, is it different when the heat waves and everything uh, hit the LA basin compared to the mountain range? Yes. Okay. We'll make the mountain range, you know, this gold with cyan blue shadows and undertones. And then when they go to the basin, uh, the, now it's the that gold has been muted by the heat and everything, so it's a yellow sun and the cyan tones take over. And then at night it goes into this kind of 
purple magenta, uh, you know, that has this, this unique tonality that you've never really seen moonlight look like that. So it was, it was a, a lot of fun playing with that and also showing that progression. Awesome. Very cool. So uh, check out, it's on Netflix right now. Thank you so much for joining us. It was very fun to, to finally meet you and hopefully I'll see you in person one of these days. Sounds great, Charles. Thank you again. That has been Shane Hurlbut. Be sure to subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Check out all sorts of great content at nofilmschool.com. And this has been Charles Hain, at Charles Hain on Twitter, interviewing Shane Hurlbut for the No Film School podcast.